Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX is clipped. Now streaming only on Hulu. Good evening and welcome to the Fred Paul Show on ADH-TV. Well, things are getting pretty scary in the United States. While tens of thousands of people, mostly young men, surge across the southern border from Mexico, including people who are known to wish to cause terror on United States soil, the swamp in Washington is focused on preventing light being shed on its own corruption involving Democrats and especially President Joe Biden. One of the first things Biden did when he became president in 2021 was cancel the China Initiative, a Trump policy of restricting the access Chinese academics had to American universities and research institutes. It was common knowledge that the Chinese academics were stealing intellectual property and sending it back to China. The cost of this was routinely estimated in the hundreds of billions of dollars. Could there be a link between Biden cancelling this policy, which didn't make a lot of sense, and the millions of dollars his family subsequently received from China via a network of secret companies? Well, Republican con Congressman James Comer would like the answer to that question and has approached the FBI to help him. Where are these whistleblowers? Well, unfortunately, uh, we can't track down the informant. Uh, we're hopeful that the informant is still there. The whistleblower knows the informant. The whistleblower is very credible. And all we're asking the FBI with respect to the Form 1023 is, what did you do to investigate this allegation? And they send us back a very patronizing letter basically saying, just trust us and don't worry about it. I mean, this is a pattern of behavior by the FBI that would suggest there's been a cover-up for many years with respect to the Biden influence peddling. Are there whistleblowers or informants missing right now? Well, with, with, with what we've investigated and the people that we've tracked down, uh, going back to the CEFC, uh, the two main players in that business, as well as all the Americans, 
that were involved in the uh, different Biden uh, influence peddling schemes, as well as the Serbian national. Uh, the nine of the 10 people uh, that we've identified that have very good knowledge with respect to the Bidens, they're, they're one of three things, Maria. They're either currently in court, they're currently in jail, or they're currently missing. Witnesses and whistleblowers are currently missing? Doesn't that kind of thing only happen in Hollywood thrillers? Well, it does, but usually in Hollywood thrillers, the person trying to chase down the truth is a dogged investigator or journalist, not a congressman with a Kentucky drawl and an expression of benign bewilderment. The Washington Swamp is hoping that Joe's problems will wash over the electorate the same way this allegation has. Said the evidence is overwhelming and beyond any reasonable doubt that the CIA was involved in the killing of, of your uncle, a, U, a U.S. president. What is the evidence? Well, you know, there's millions of pages of documents, of uh, CIA documents, of, uh, of transcripts, of recorded conversations from the Cuban embassy in, in Mexico City from, uh, I mean, uh, it's hard to summarize the evidence. There are, as I said on, in, that, uh, in that podcast, there are confessions of people who were directly involved in the plot, who were involved in the planning of the plot, uh, who were peripheral to the plot. Uh, there's a 60-year cover-up. Uh, you know, the Warren Commission was run by Alan Dulles, who was the head of the CIA, who my uncle fired, and then insinuated himself onto the Warren Commission and essentially ran the Warren Commission and kept this evidence from the Warren Commissioners. Either way, when Congress, 10 years later, investigated the crime with much more evidence than the Warren Commission had at its disposal, Congress found that, yeah, it was a plot. It was a conspiracy. There were multiple people involved. And most of the people in that investigation believed that it was the CIA that was behind it. Well, if the Washington swamp could get away with killing a popular president, then surely a few witnesses to Joe Biden's corruption won't raise enough eyebrows to warrant an investigation. And even if it did, who in the Department of Justice, the CIA or FBI would commit the career suicide of allowing the investigation to actually track down any witnesses? Throw in the US government's involvement in the censorship of experts opposed to lockdowns and vaccines during the COVID pandemic, and the depth of the corruption in Washington starts to look more like a satanic plot than a Hollywood thriller. Meanwhile, in Australia, the federal government is displaying similar disregard for the truth, although not on quite as grand a scale. Inflation, the environment, our long-suffering indigenous population and housing are all issues that are central to the government's agenda. Its policies, though, only make things worse. The government is trying to solve inflation by spending more on your medical, housing, energy and childcare expenses, which would be fine if the chief driver of inflation wasn't government spending. The more money the government pumps into the economy, the higher prices go. Treasurer Jim Chalmers just hopes you won't notice. 
Energy Minister Chris Bowen has put a cap on how much resource companies can charge domestic, domestically for Australian gas, which might put a lid on prices at home, but in the long term discourages further investment in the sector at a time when Australia desperately needs to increase its gas production to keep the lights on and industry operating. Bowen is instead caring for the environment by aiming for net zero emissions by 2050, but will only do so using toxic windmills, solar panels and batteries, which have a short shelf life and are recyclable are not recyclable, so will quickly wind up in landfill and in some cases leaching chemicals into the ground. The government ignores the most effective method to achieve net zero, nuclear, which is undeniably the cleanest and safest form of energy generation. Nuclear is also, unlike solar and wind, a long-term investment. And of course, the government is pushing ahead with a plan to give certain Indigenous people a louder voice in Parliament, but which will do nothing to alleviate the horrific violence and destitution being endured by, <coughs> by vulnerable women and children in outback Indigenous communities. And finally, the government is hoping to solve the housing crisis by, by building what it calls affordable and social housing most of which will be, owned by either, will be owned by either the government or corporate developers, when the government knows the best solution in reality is to incentivise people to buy their own home and for tradies to build them. The government should have no role in this in housing other than to clear the land and provide the utilities. The notion of private ownership of property is one of the founding principles of our society, but our increasingly socialist government is abandoning that. The government in the Australian Capital Territory is behaving likewise by rushing through legislation to, wait for it, compulsorily acquire the Calvary Hospital in Canberra. You won't believe this, the speed with which this is being done is as frightening as the fact that it is being done at all. This is a case of a private organisation building a hospital on leased public land, then having that hospital being taken back by the government without being told how much compensation it will receive. Could it be that the ACT government is hoping nobody will care because the owner of the hospital is a corporation owned by the Catholic Church. Never mind how you feel about the church or even how you feel about the medical industry. If the ACT government can get away with this, other governments can get away with compulsorily acquiring your home. There's no difference. The corruption being revealed in the United States and the spin that comes out of our own government here in Australia every day are reminders that these politicians and bureaucrats are increasingly dismissive of the rights and prosperity of ordinary citizens. These are increasingly troubling times. Well, to discuss all this, let's bring in the Vicar General of the Archdiocese of Canberra, Goulburn, Father Tony Percy. Father Tony, welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Fred. 
Firstly, Father, can you tell us what, who actually owns the Calvary Hospital in Canberra? Yeah, Little Company of Mary, religious order came in 1885. They moved out of it, left the Little Company of Mary Corporation. It's called a public juridic person. They've been in Calvary since 1979, invited by the federal government to uh, provide medical services. They own the contract, they own the land, they own the buildings, Fred. So the, so the church, effectively, the church built the hospital. Yeah, correct. So the little, through the little company of Mary, not the archdiocese. Right. It's a 120-year lease, and it began in 79, so they're 44 years into it. Right. And the 76 years left on the lease. Okay, we'll get onto those details in a minute. But firstly, what services does the hospital provide and to whom? Yeah, it provides to, it's a public hospital, so the, the government provides funding. It's available to everyone. It's not the major hospital in the, in the region. The major hospital is the Canberra Hospital. So they call it sort of a secondary type hospital, but it's very significant. It has, I think, about 270 beds, Fred. And uh, so it's not insignificant and provides lots of services, an emergency department, uh, gynecological services, uh, birthing, uh, the normal functions, but not the, the complete array of services, but a significant amount of medical services are provided there. Yeah, I imagine uh, Canberra and the ACT would be a whole lot worse without it. Is that what you're saying? Oh, certainly. Yeah, no question about it. Canberra's 450,000 people now. They estimate it will go to 700,000 by 2050. And the surrounding area is uh, what they call the plus one figure, one hour of drive. That'll be up to about 1.2 million by 2050, which is really just around the corner. Right. Okay. So the ACT government had offered to buy the hospital for $77 million. Why did that offer fall through? That was back in 2009 and 2010, and the current Archbishop was very keen to keep the hospital. I think the original intention really by the federal government was to have a secondary hospital like Calvary with such a good reputation through the Little Sisters of, of Mary, Little Company of Mary, uh, because they wanted public servants to be able to feel free to come to Canberra as Canberra was developing. And so they wanted to have an alternate system of medicine, which has proved tremendous uh, to date. Tell me, firstly, what role does the federal government play in all this? Well, not much, really, because, you know, self-government came in 89, and so the ACT government operates under its own self-government act, as, as your viewers would be aware of. So not, not a lot. It'd have to take something for them to get involved, but they could get involved. And I think the Prime Minister has a, an interest to get involved, because if the sort of behaviour we're seeing here in Canberra is replicated in the other states in the Federation, we're going to lose our free and fair society, no question. So I think it's in his interest, since it, this originated with the Commonwealth Government, I think it's in his interest to take an interest in this. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, these territorial governments uh, are not always the most professional uh, outfits in the nation, and they have the federal government at its disposal almost. They're, you know, they're right in their neighbourhood. But let's just get back to uh, that quote from Katie Gallagher, has the church put its own interests ahead of the community? Well, well, it's 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 land, and one of the teachings of the church, which is very beautiful, I think, is uh, the the right to private property, which, with its orientation to the common good. So John Paul II, that fantastic pope, said, "Look, all private property has a social mortgage on it," and the church has been doing this very well for two thousand years. That is, we 
we make things available for the vast majority of people. And that's the case with this hospital. We've done it very well in the medical sector and we've done it very well in the health sector. Uh, sorry, in the, in the educational sector. So we, 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 we actually think that that's a, a bit of a silly statement from Katie, not a, not a best moment, I would have to say, because the church is, is one of the best institutions, one of those intermediary institutions that really helps society and, and people function really, really well. Indeed, yes. And is, is very important in the country. It, well, I mean, our history shows, you know, the, the involvement of the church in medicine and education has been enormously beneficial to the nation as a whole. Now, let's get to the key issue here. Last Thursday, the ACT government introduced legislation to compulsorily acquire the hospital. What's going on, Father Tony? Well, they, they, they came out of nowhere. The, the negotiations stopped in November. So the government had come to, to Calvary and said, look, you've got extra land there. Is it possible for us to look at a new hospital? And they said, in good faith, of course. But then it sort of fell over. And um, then we hadn't heard from them, or the Calvary hadn't heard from them from November. And then suddenly, uh, Rachel Stephen-Smith calls in, uh, the head of Calvary on last Monday, and then on Wednesday it's announced they're going to com make a compulsory acquisition. So it's come right out of the blue. Back to Katie Gallagher, she said back in 2009, that wouldn't be a good thing to do. That would provide a lot of chaos. So to quote Katie back at her and back at you. So I think that this has come out of the blue and it's um, extremely dangerous behaviour by a government which is ignoring really the property rights and the contract rights of a, uh, of a citizen, which is a public citizen in this case. Yeah, let's get to the, the, the fundamental and philosophical issues in a minute. But firstly, let's just thrash out these details. I mean, this legislation has been introduced with enormous haste. Has there been any consultation before the legislation was introduced or any sort of investigation into the validity of this deal or this legislation? Well, the health minister saying, you know, it was a was a pretty quick decision, but you can't uh, you can't defend that because the doc I think the legislation is either 52 or 58 pages. I read it yesterday. I just forget, but it's a large document. It's very complex. So they they introduced that uh, on Wednesday, and then it's this. This is important for people to know, Fred. They've suspended standing orders, so they will have no discussion about it. They're just going to go straight to the legislative assembly. Furthermore, and, and probably even more disturbing than that, that's disturbing enough. There's a thing called the ACT Land Acquisition Act of 1994. Now, in this legislation, this bill they've introduced, they've said, well, look, this won't apply in this case. It will not apply. And what that, what that uh, Land Acquisition Act of 1994 says is that if the government wants to do a compulsory acquisition, which they can do, obviously, under certain circumstances, it must be done on just terms. Now, the government's saying, oh, no, we'll acquire this thing now and then we'll, do, we'll work out the just terms later. Well, that, that, any Australian should be frightened out of his mind or her mind by that sort of behaviour. Indeed. It, so it sounds like the proposal for The Voice. Vote yes and we'll tell you what, we, what you're voting for later. I mean, the church would be mad to agree to this if they don't know what terms it's, it, it's being conducted on. Now, firstly, well, Father, yeah. we need to, just before we move on, we just need to sort of uh, understand why the ACT government wants its hands on this hospital. What is it up to? Well, they're saying 
that they want an integrated service. <laughs> but ask the, ask the New South Wales government if they think St Vincent's is integrated in Sydney, one of the revered institutions in Sydney. This is a nonsense argument. So with the, everyone's asking the question, why? Now, we don't really know. Is it is it because they're, they're going to offer better health services than Calgary? We know in March 2019, an independent review was scathing of the culture of the main Canberra hospital, the Canberra hospital, of its, of its uh, culture and of its service delivery. So there's no clues there as to why that's the case. Last year, they did a, uh, a review on abortion services around the city, and the report came out on the 10th of April this year. So then this action came out, and so people are saying, oh, perhaps this is, you know, got, it's got to do with abortion. But no, because the, the main Canberra hospital and Calvary Hospital, both of those hospitals do not do abortion, except in case of exceptional circumstances. Yet on in that, that uh, uh, report that came out in April, they right at the back end it says, oh, the religious, the, the medical services offered by Calvary have too much of a religious overtone. Well, what does that mean? Does, what does that mean that St Vincent's in Sydney or the Martyr up in Queensland or the Mercy down there in Victoria, no one's ever complained about that. People are delighted to receive the care they're receiving. So that's got to be discounted. Then you've got the, the financial, as it is because of financial reason. Well, that's, that's a joke because we know that Calvary built a private hospital in Adelaide, 342 beds for $350 million, Fred. Now, the government wants to knock over this hospital, build another one. They say they're going to spend a billion dollars. Well, we know what happened at the public hospital in Adelaide. We know what will happen here. So if the government had any sense financially, they'd say, look, Calvary, you build us the hospital and then we'll pay you the money and then we will save the public purse probably at least $500 million, probably a billion dollars to have other money available for public works. So everyone's waking up to this and saying this is preposterous. So of all those reasons you just listed, the only one that I could envisage has any validity from the government's perspective, the ACT government's perspective, is the religious one. This is a secular left-wing government or politicians and bureaucrats thinking, well, we'll just take over this, this hospital because it's run by the Catholic Church. Yeah, look, it, it seems like that. They haven't, there's no direct attack on, on, on us in a sense, but there's sort of these, that, that quote I gave you about, you know, the, the medical services being delivered with too much of a religious ethos or overtone. I mean, that's bizarre. You just throw that in there. And so I, I don't know what they're, what they're on about, but you know, if they're saying they want Calvary to perform abortions, well, I'm sorry, your main hospital doesn't do. I mean, abortion's a day procedure mm. as much as we don't like it as I don't like it. And for various reasons, it, it's around the city and it's quite available and it's all free and publicly funded. So that can't be the issue. There's, there's something else going on here. Okay, well, let's talk about the fundamentals then. Your property, your, your property rights or the church's property rights are being compromised. The deal is, as, as far as you know, it stands at the moment, is that the government will compo compulsorily acquire the hospital and then it will later decide how much compensation you, your, the, the church will receive uh, for having uh, lost the, the last, what is it, 79 years of the lease? And, no, Fred, yeah. And, yeah. and the, uh, the, the assets upon the land. Now, what implication, if this goes through, what implication does that have for the rest of Australia? 
Well, it's got, it, that's a very good question. And so you think, right, okay, there's this revered institution in Canberra called Clare Holland House, which deals with palliative care. It's a fantastic place. It's, it's not only uh, funded by the government, but there's also private money, significant private donors that are so impressed with the work of helping people to die well at the end of life issues. So they're under the umbrella of Calvary Hospital. They'll be next for sure. I'm thinking of the Canberra Race Club out here. The government's been trying to get onto their land for ages. The latest plan from the ACT Territory Government uh, doesn't even have the race course on it, Fred. Right. So they ought to be worried. And then you've got, uh, well, think of the independent schools here. I mean, let's say that, you know, they come out and say, well, look, we're not going to be teaching or promoting gender transitioning based not on religious grounds, but on the compounding scientific evidence which is now becoming available to everyone. And they say, well, we're not going to be part of that. And the government says, well, we don't like that. We'll, we'll take you over. So that's the first, the city itself is going to be very uncertain and people are going to be quite nervous. And then you say, well, if they get it through here, let's then, you know, Mr. Andrews down there in, in Victoria, he'll be very interested. We know his form guide against uh, religion and what he, the sort of laws he's introduced. They'll be next. And then Queensland, perhaps. I mean, look, that's what I'm saying. This is a really dangerous moment for... The Federation. Well, Father, I, I think you would agree that over the past few years, we have seen our governments right across the country act in more authoritarian and dictatorial ways. I'm referring, of course, to the so-called COVID pandemic and the uh, coercion into taking vaccines. Th is this another manifestation of the heavy-handed style of government Australians are, uh, uh, seem to be getting used to these days? This is a, I think this is a real touch point. It's a turning, this is a real clutch moment here. People have to realise what is going on and and we have to really get it out to the young people. It's, adults need to sit down and say, listen, this is what's at stake here. We have built a fantastic, fair, free society up until this point. And if you want the same thing, you better get involved. So it's very, very serious point, I think. very. It's a great moment for us to stand up and get counted. And, and just finally, what role should the federal government play in this? I mean, we are, we are seeing the federal government, you know, being more heavy-handed than most. Should the federal government step in and sort this out? Well, we're not quite there yet, but they may have to. They may have to. I, I, I'm not across all the legal arguments. I've given you a couple of things about the legislation which are incredibly disturbing and the practices that, that has, that's going to lead to by mature, supposedly mature men and women in government. So, yeah, who knows where it's going to end, but they've got a fight on their hands, and this is not just about the Catholic Church. People have to understand that. They have to understand this is about every ordinary citizen, every intermediary body. body. The principle of subsidiarity is being abused here, and we, we cannot tolerate it. I think that's the, that, that's the most valid point. I mean, this is not the government uh, just simply picking on the Catholic Church because it might be convenient, but it's actually picking on a private corporation and that corporation could be any corporation, secular or religious. Correct. Yeah, all right. Father Tony, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Fred. Great to be with you. That's the Vicar General of Canberra-Goulburn, Father Tony Percy, who's fighting to keep the ACT government from compulsorily acquiring 
the Calvary Hospital in Canberra, which is doing a great service. Well, that's all from me tonight. Thanks for watching. The great Alan Jones is up next at eight o'clock. And if you haven't yet tuned in, tune in for the Mark Stein Show at five o'clock Australian Eastern Time every Tuesday to Friday. Or check out his shows at adh.tv or on our app. You can also see great content from Lyle Shelton, Damien Curry, Alexandra Marshall, Daisy Cousins, David Flint, Nick Cater and more. Tell your friends, ADH is the new home for common sense commentary and there's no shortage of things to comment about these days. I'll see you again tomorrow at seven o'clock. Good night.